Hello, and welcome to the One Stop Co-op Shop Podcast, your one stop for co-op news and reviews. This week, Jason Perez is here to entertain you with some more shelf stories. Yo, my peoples, what's up? Welcome to Shelf Stories, the channel that tells tales from games, books, and life. And also, welcome to the One Stop Co-op Shop Podcast. I am your host, Jason. Thank you so, so much for stopping by for this latest chat with friends. And I have with me today my first repeat guest here on Shelf Stories. I have a lot of people who I had on my old podcast, Every Night is Game Night, that have come on Shelf Stories. But this man is the first one who has made a repeat appearance. And this will not be his only appearance. Stay tuned towards the end of the year for even more of this man's voice. He is from the Not Board Gaming YouTube channel. He has previews uh, out your wazoo, whatever has whatever your needs, especially in terms of solo and Euro and uh, lots of different stuff that he has on his channel, discussion pieces as well. We're going to take advantage of one of those discussion pieces on the game, Red Rising, which if you're watching the video and pointing to it, if you're watching the podcast, take my word for it, Red Rising is on my shelf. So he is Mark Dainty from Not Board Gaming. Welcome to the show. Wow, Jason, what a build-up there. I feel, first of all, uh, it's always a pleasure to speak to you. Secondly, uh, I feel genuinely honoured to be your first repeat guest. And may all your guests return, the ones that you want to anyway, because this is just a fabulous <laughs> format. And you do so many wonderful videos and interviews, etc. really exploring things that a lot of board gamers are. So thank you for everything that you do. Thank you for everything that you do for being interesting and willing to come on. Uh, that's a big love fest over here. We, it's a big uh, for now. and solo. <laughs> The co-op and solo content creation versus a big happy family. And, yeah. you know, uh, anybody who is in that verse and they want to come on or I'll go on there. Uh, it is a big happy family. And it's, it's gotten us through this pandemic. We were talking about that on a, on a Facebook thread or something or somewhere. You know, we we're talking about, you know, um, one stop co-op shop, Hungry Gamer, Luke Hector, just like we like we have all these friends. Right. Which, by the way, I have to get Luke on the show, but I have a plan for him. Too. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we are talking about Red Rising from Stonemeyer Games. Mm. So the reason I wanted to have Mark on for this discussion is because uh, I disagree with Mark's viewpoint. And I, I totally understand where he's coming from with this. Uh, and But it gave me the feels. And I'm like, okay, I have to talk about this. <laughs> so we're going to have this discussion in a, in a couple of stages. First, we're going to describe the game itself, Red Rising. Uh, based on the novel series by Pierce Brown. And then we're going to discuss the game itself. And then we're going to discuss where we diverge the most, which is the theme. Yeah. So I think summing up our um, our different positions, Mark thinks this is kind of a, a okay game with a poorly implemented theme. I think this is a very good game with a brilliantly implemented theme. And we need to get into what theme is. So we'll have a little bit of yes. mythology discussion. I have a de definition of theme to kind of discuss upon that. So that is the plan. Uh, okay, so we, we're just going to get right into it. If you want to know about Let's Mark, go ahead and check out the previous episode I did, AltaQuest, Ether Fields, and Not Board Gaming. Uh, go ahead. We've got plenty of that. So then let's get right to it. Uh, first, we describe the game. So Red Rising, uh, go. Red Rising is a hand management combo building card-based game, as you say, based on the wildly popular books by Pierce Brown. And I think there are four or five of these books um, which are set on Mars, and it's all about kind of an uprising against the class system that's there on Mars. So it's kind of, um, yeah, uh, kind of prescient at the moment as well. Um, and, uh, yeah, I know it was one of Jamie Stegmaier's kind of favourite book series, and you can see as you play the game there's lots of love goes in there. So essentially it's I think a it's big his favourite book. I think it's like me favourite 
we go. Yeah. And uh, you can see a lot of love has gone into certain parts of this game. And you ha it is essentially just a big stack of cards. You could wipe everything else away and just have a big stack of cards. And you start out with five cards. And the aim is to kind of play cards to get benefits as you play the card. And then pick a new card up, which will also give you a benefit. And to try and get the best hand so that when the end game uh, conditions are triggered, that you have the highest score possible through a, a slightly convoluted scoring system. Sorry, just getting that little dig in uh, there, but a slightly, co <laughs> a slightly convoluted scoring system, which, and I will say this game, you know, uh, is very popular with that fans of the IP. I think that's summed it up okay. Yeah, uh, it is based on a previous game called Fantasy Realms. Yeah. Uh, so you ha have you played Fantasy Realms? Never played Fantasy Realms, no. no Never played no. Fantasy Realms? Hold on one second. <laughs> this is great radio right here. Fantasy Realms <laughs> right there. There it is. Pride of Collection. So, okay. So, I. it is based on this game. And this game, Fantasy Realms, is, is basically rummy. Like, we're talking about a rummy variant. You know, <laughs> you know all this hoodad and everything that Mark was saying, that's the kind of beating heart of the game is, you know, you have your hand of cards. It's a card-based game. And, you know, draw and discard, draw and discard, draw and discard. Craft your hands to make it the best scoring um, combination possible. That's rummy. And I love rummy. I grew up on rummy. So it's like I like <laughs> those kinds of games. So then Fantasy Realms comes along. This was about ooh, six, seven years ago, something like that. It's not, and it's also WizKids, WizKids. Um, okay, Mage Knight guys the, and things like that. Well, I mean, the press. The press is not exactly uh, bursting forth uh, for games like this. So um, I adore, I adore Fantasy Realms. It's one okay. of those games where, well, I actually won't tell you what it is. So it's like, it's, you know, what whatever... Um, Mark was describing kind of even walk those back a couple of steps. I would consider fantasy realms like gamer rummy, and I'll consider okay. Red Rising Euro gamer rummy. <laughs> okay, Euro gamer rummy. So a lot of different buttons, but like in terms of fantasy realms, it's a very, it's you know you're you're it's ten suits, and the suits combo off each other. So it's like okay, I have fire and water and mountain. So it's like if I have four fire cards and the green card that keys off of fire, then I'll get like all these points. But if I have the water card, then it will douse all the fire cards. And so I have to make sure I don't have the water card and the fire card. That's it. That's it. And then the scores can range. Like you can get a piddly score of 50 points. Or you can get like 300 or, or, or more. Like it's really like, you know, wide variety of what you can get because so many cards blank each other. On so a question for you on, on that then on Fantasy Realms. In the rule book, does it give you more than three lines of text about what you're doing and why you're doing it? <laughs> less, yes, less. <laughs> Look at the name. Look at the name. Fantasy Realms is the worst name. They might as well just call this game a rummy. There is but no you, text whatsoever. It's just suits. You know what a fantasy, you know what you expect from a fantasy game. Anyway, we are diverging and potentially getting ahead of ourselves just a little bit well, there. Well, I, yeah, I mean, so. Mark is remarking about the theme. And, and again, like I, it, so it's, it's, a, it's a setting. It's, a, it's, a, it's an aesthetic motif. That's it. Yeah. It's an aesthetic motif. Yeah, uh, and I will get to that in a second. So, like, you know, it, that's all it is. It's like because you know, you don't want just want red, blue, yellow. You want, you know, water douses fire. You want, you know, um, uh, fire sets fire to green things. Like that yep. as a as a as a heuristic way for players to kind of intuitively be able to build the sets. That's yep. all the theme does. Right? Yeah, all the theme does, and that's that's cool, right? So mm -hmm. like, and so it's it's really simple. It, it plays pretty fast at least Fantasy Realms does. And it's one of those games uh, plays uh, like a pretty high player. I'm trying to think it plays up to six. And okay. so, and it's very quick. It's one of those games where if you come to my house 
and you're like, oh, I don't know what to play. It's like, oh, I have this game. It's called Fantasy World. You, <laughs> you know it? I don't know. Everybody has one of those like little bugaboo things. Like I never yep. get to play this, but I want to play it more often. So I was like, <laughs> <laughs> I have a short list of that. Not Alone is on there and a couple other games. But uh, okay. this, Fantasy World is definitely one of them. We're going yep. on. I am going on about Fantasy World because it's important to set that context for Red Rising. Absolutely. Right. Yep. Red Rising is, if I call Fantasy Realms Gamer Rummy, Red Rising is Euro Gamer Rummy. And you saw, you heard what Mark said. A little bit of a convoluted scoring system. Uh, multi-use cards. Fantasy Realms is not yep. multi-use cards. Here okay. have multi-use cards. You know, yep. uh, you know, you, you use a card to either power for power or score. Yep. You have decisions the entire time about, like, do I keep the card or do I move the card along? And, you know, all that kind of stuff. Right? Yeah. Um, just like Rummy, you have to analyze the discard pile and yep. figure, okay, do I have something in there that I want or do I want to just draw a new card and see if I can make a new combo? The, so much of the decision space is, is replicable of Rummy, but then there's all these other buttons yep. to push in Red Rising. Okay, so let's not talk about theme. Let's not talk about theme. Let's just okay. talk about the game. The game. The yep. game. Right. So okay. let's assess the game. Um, I thought it was okay. I mean, predominantly I played it solo and I must have played it maybe 15 times solo and I found it okay. It was a nice little puzzle that I had. I just want to, you know, uh, if we just talk about the core mechanics, as you mentioned, kind of the using the cards to generate resource or generate abilities uh, and building your hands up, there is a nice flow to it and it is relatively straightforward to grasp, you know, even having no knowledge of the IP and I, I don't have any knowledge of the IP other than a little bit of Googling. Um, it is relatively straightforward to grasp, you know, it's, it's a quick game to set up. It takes five minutes to set up about 25 minutes for a solo game, something like that. And you will end up playing it two or three times on the trot. Um, yeah, I'm going to keep theme out of it just for now. We'll come back to that. But in terms of, um, yeah, the the kind of overall, I found it a little bit swingy at times, depending on which cards uh, initially came out in my hand and just how, which cards were churned through the deck. I could find my score, no matter how I tried to mitigate against it, kind of swinging wildly in some games. And that's okay. I think if you're going there with the knowledge of doing that. Um, but yeah, well, it created a, a nice puzzle. The um, reason for the swinginess is because it's 112 unique cards. Yeah. Completely unique cards. And the cards combo of each other. So if you don't get the combo of your card, <laughs> yeah, you know, absolutely. Like, like yeah. in Everdell, if you have the husband, you didn't, you never get the wife. Uh, they, you know these they, these card games where like you know you have specific cards and they have like it's a big fat deck and you and you're looking yeah. for specific chains off of that. So it's like that's the decision space. The decision space is okay. I have a card. Can I wait for the next card, or? And have I waited long enough? Should I just punt? And so, yeah. like you, you, like the game doesn't want to give you all of the matches. It helps no. you because there are some quote unquote wild cards. Like yeah. um, the orange cards can be any one person, and the gray cards can be any one suit. So, like if you have an orange card, you might have to, you might be able to swap that in, but then it doesn't combo with something else that you have. That's the decision space. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's that's fair enough. And as you say, you know, you once you get to grips with what the various color cards do, uh, and they are to me just uh, cards of different colors. Um, uh, once you get to grips with what they can do, you can then change your strategy mid game. And as you say, am I going to keep onto this or am I going to take a punt on this? I think there is a potential in the mechanism uh, and 
so very wrong about games covered this in a very brief uh, section on Red Rising. They didn't. It's exactly what happened when I played with my uh, played the game with my wife. Is uh, there's an ability to top deck basically. So instead of taking the cards, you can just scout the cards basically. So if you start the game with a decent uh, decent hand, all you need to do throughout the game is is top deck and churn a little bit. And there's no real incentive then to try and get better. Um, but yeah, I think you know there are mitigation strategies. It is a nice puzzle. I do I did enjoy the time I had with it, and irrespective of whether it was swingy or not uh and i understand why that's swingy i think that's potentially more in the solo game because in the multiplayer game the chances you're going to start cycling through the deck at some point but in the solo game you're never really going to cycle through that deck because it's only you and the uh, uh and, and and the ai that takes a small number of cards from there uh, i think once you bring more people in i can see it being a lot more fun say if you've got three or four players playing it okay uh, so what exactly what you mentioned is one of my, my probably biggest criticism in terms of the game, but let me get into what I, what I like about it first. What I like about it first is the, the, the crafting, right? The crafting of your hands. Yeah. So like you have, you know, uh, uh, undiluted mush, you have, you know, you have a wad of cookie dough and you have to bake it into a nice, delicious bread. And that's kind of what I, what I think of when I think of like crafting, like a rummy hand, you know, okay. just like, you know, a, a, a little bit, a little bit cultivating, cultivating my hand for the, to make it the best possible. I I think this game does that really well. I like the innovation of the multi-use cards. Uh, I think okay. I like it. So <laughs> it's one of those things where it's like, well, okay, do I prefer the simpler fantasy realms crafting where there are no multi-use cards? Just, it's just building a set, drawing this card, drawing this card, drawing this card. Or do I like the having the button to push? Do I like the, if I place my card here, I fire off this track and this track gives me a bonus and the bonus, you know, uh, chains into this other thing that I have. It, is that... Is that too much, you know, or do I prefer the simpler uh, thing? You know, that's that's a while, while your mileage may vary thing. I think both, I think they're both well delivered in any each individual game. I think Red Rising, whatever it's yeah. doing mechanically, I think it does well. What do you think? Okay. Just like the intention of having buttons to push. Do you feel like the buttons worked? Yeah, I think so. I think if anything, there's potentially too much choice in that in that large deck of cards. If anything, uh, and I think that dilutes the experience some, somewhat. I think if you if you could almost um, uh, kind of gradient the game or step up the game, and, you know, and start adding more cards as you hit a certain level and increasing the difficulty, etc., that might be a big thing. But if you're chucking that 112 cards in for a solo player right at the beginning, yeah, it does dilute that experience. But I think when it does work, the the buttons that it presses, it presses them very, very well, definitely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So like when you play a card down, chances are you're going to do something effective. It is yeah. going to be, you know, this kind of random, it's like, okay, I, I wonder what's going to happen if I put this card down. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> a little bit of that, but for the most part, I think if, when you want to do something and make your hand better with a, a card play, then you could probably do it or make your yeah. resources better, put yourself up the different scoring tracks and all that kind of thing. Yeah. Okay. So then, so that gets to the, the criticisms that I have is exactly what you mentioned is that in classic rummy, when you have a good hand, yep. game over. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're good. Uh, especially playing like classic kind of seven card rummy. Once I get my four and my three, like done, it doesn't matter what you have. Like I beat you, right. I beat you to the yeah. thing. Now we're just going to like, you know, that's it. Uh, get Play it together, shuffle again. Right? Yeah. Shuffle again. And so Fantasy Realms had, they, it went the other way uh, because it, it, the, the end game condition of Fantasy Realms is, uh, you, you, when you when you uh, discard a card, it just goes into a public pile, and when that okay. hits ten, that's when the game's over. So yep. you could have like seven cards in the discard pile, but then your hand is good. You still have to churn your hand, and you know, like you might you might make your hand worse. Yeah. Right. Uh, and 
that's, you know, the game doesn't apologize about that. That's part of the strategy. The part of the strategy is not just building the best hand, but timing it. Yeah. Right. You know, keeping your hand a little bit open ended. don't just kind of sink into something like, you know, because you could peek at discard number seven and then peter out a little bit because you have to churn. Uh, so there's a timing aspect to it, too. Uh, so that the game is the, the, doesn't apologize for that. Not everybody likes it. I, I saw Jamie's uh, designer diary about Red Rising. He doesn't like that. So he wanted to kind of put in like he didn't want to just stop the game. Yeah. He wanted to put in an extra button, which is the top deck game. Yeah. Right. You have your hand. You don't. You don't want to manipulate it. Let's top deck and get a thing. You know, get a uh, move a track. Right. Yeah. And it kind of moves the game along that way. <sighs> Doesn't really. I mean, it, it can bring the game to if you've got a decent hand and you start top decking. That's it. You you can drive that game to to a conclusion. There's no desire to actually explore the rest of the deck there. And I think right. that is potentially. Right. It may have <laughs> provided a. Um, it's not quite a solution to a problem that didn't exist, but I think he's created a whole new problem by implementing this solution. Yeah. Right. That's exactly what I say. It's like they, they, well, I think the problem is, is quote unquote. Okay. So it is, I say quote unquote real because it depends on what kind of gamer you are. Uh, if you're a Euro gamer, you're used to being able to sit there and fire off your combos. Yeah. And what is the worst, what is the most frustrating thing for a Euro gamer? Not being able to fire off your combo, not feeling like you have enough terms, feeling like somebody yep. else kind of like short circuited the game before you got yeah. to do your thing, or like yeah. I, I like represent yourself well in terms of like the score, because yeah. Euro games they they score on asymptotes, so it's like okay you get a little bit, a little bit, a little bit, then all of a sudden towards the Bang. mid to late, yep, yeah, it goes up. Yeah, you never feel quite as inferior as you do when you lose a Euro game, that's for sure. Yeah, you don't you feel like the smartest game in the room. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that's the, I think that's the, the problem that was identified. So it's like, okay, this game can't end too early. We need to get everybody room to be able to draw up and, you know, do their thing. Right. Yeah. So then did it create another problem by saying, and I think do most Euro games create this problem of like, okay, now I'm good, but my other, the game is allowing other players to kind of like do their thing. So it's like, here's a less optimal, less fun action. You know, because now I'm not exploring the deck anymore. Now I'm just top decking and just kind of like, you know, discarding and stuff. Yeah, but I, I think, you know, I, I suppose it comes down to the player, doesn't it? And, um, you know, some players are savvy enough uh, to understand when they've got a winning hand and that's it. They're not going to move. And if that happens early game, then that's absolutely it. If you're a, a gamer, a, a board gamer that just wants to play the game, then maybe you sabotage your hand a little bit just to try and keep the game going, try to keep the theme of the game going. So, yeah, I think it can, some of it can come down to the type of gamer you are uh, or understanding the hand that you've got as well. You may do it by a happy little accident um, or just the fact that if the game, and I know this drips into it, it's kind of uh, trips into what we're going to be discussing, but if the game hasn't dragged you in, then you may just want the game to be over. And, you know, as, as I say, I played it with my wife. She started off with a very good hand. She top decked through that entire game, won me, uh, and said, I never want to play the game ever again. And, and that was it. Yeah, so, and so, that's not I mean, because she won. Yeah. In classic Roma, you're allowed to do that. Oh, I got a great hand. Bam. Boom. So yeah. done. And not that your wife would say son, but whatever. So like, bam. And then it's like, okay, let's play again. Like that's the, the, the yeah. essence of a quick card game is like the answer to a game ending early is let's play again, which that yes. will never be an answer to a Euro player. <laughs> You're not going to play another game of Agricola. It's like, let's play another <laughs> Well, I don't know. I've done a few. Well, as a solo player, I've done a few Lacerdas on that's the bounce, but that's, that's slightly different. Yeah. Right. But yeah, yeah in terms of a, a multiplayer experience, we haven't yeah. commented about the solo. I think the solo is really well done. Uh, I, I think solo, it's, it's, it's super good. 
Yeah, I think I, you know, I came to this with, uh, I had to force my eyes to be wide open on, on Red Rising. I don't know if you saw my uh, review of the solo on Pendulum the year before, and it was oh, my worst okay. solo experience. I I, right. I think he should not have existed as a solo experience, or certainly not as a retail solo experience. So I came in with, uh, you know, uh, and, and kudos to Jamie and, and, and the guys at Stonemaier. You know, I really did tear into Pendulum, and they sent me a review copy of Red Rising. Um, so uh, so kudos to them for doing that. And uh, And yeah, I think it's, it's not overly complex. It's exactly the right level for this kind of game. It's a solo mode that you can learn in all of about two minutes. If you know the game itself, implement it, and it feels intuitive. And I think it's very, very well done. I think there could have been a real, um, uh, almost a real misstep in trying to create a complex solo mode with lots of decision mm -hmm. trees and all this kind of stuff going on. doesn't need that, and they've done a fantastic job on creating a slick, uh, solo mode for it so yeah com completely hats off to them for that this this solo mode i felt like was a master class in how to make a solo mode mm -hmm. how to make a solo yeah mod. in terms of how okay it 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 it's just a deck of cards right and the deck of cards yeah. simulates an action so like a the de like it, you have these you have um a like a card you flip a card and it says okay uh discard a card and then draw a card and draw a card yeah. into a tandem discard a card into one of the piles right so then it's that's it. It's all you want. And it it replicates those core points of interaction. So it's like, what do you not want to happen in a game of Red Rising? You don't want the bot to take a card away from the, the, the tableau that you want. Yep. And it has a chance to do that, right? And it also affects your decision making in terms of what card you put down. So it's like very simple. Uh, the card, you know, so it'll at the beginning of the game, it will say, tell you, I score more points if there's if I take even cards into my hand. Or I score yeah. more points if I take odd cards. So that just, it's so simple. And it's like, it just, it, it, it plays in your head the entire time. Well, if I put this even card down, I might get it, I might score extra. So let me put this odd card down, even though that was a little bit, you know, suboptimal for me. I don't want the bot to have something else. Yeah, It's so simple the way it does that. And it, it's so simple the way it like, just pushes against me and threatens my decision space. And it's in a really like, like the, the, the solo, um, the rule book, I always look for the, the size of the solo rule book. Those solo rule yeah. books can be forever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> David Tracy, as much as we love you, man, your, rule, your solo rule books are long. <laughs> and Simone Morton, Monrad Pedersen's The Automa Factory, yeah. uh, the team over there, uh, those rule books can be fairly long, but this one is yeah. short. It's, it's, it has a couple of pages, but there's mostly examples, which I like. Yeah. yeah. And oh, man. It, uh, so, uh, Chef's Kiss in the solo mode. I think it is. I think it's really good. And, you know, you mentioned about the uh, kind of scoring on the odds or the even cards. Uh, that is slightly arbitrary at the same time because it's all dependent on what goes out. Yes, you can kind of mitigate against it a little bit by understanding what cards you're going to play back into there. Right. But, you know, that's it's not fair. always the case. Yeah, yeah. That's but that's fair. okay. Yeah, yeah. So, and, and once you once you understand that, you know, you then try and develop strategies yeah. to get around that. So I think, you know, they could have complicated, as we said, it is a, a very well-implemented solo mode for a game that didn't that didn't need a complex solo mode, definitely. Didn't even need a solo mode. I mean, Fantasy Realms yeah. is three to six. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've always wanted to play Fantasy Realms solo, and now I can. Well, there we go. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, no, so, solo mode is great. Um, I like the game a lot. I th obviously, okay. I, as a game game, I like the, I like it more than you because I, again, I, I I resonate with Rami. I I, I'm, I come from a yeah. background of like you know I like cultivating my hand, and and that's just an enjoyable yeah. thing for me. And 
my criticism is that the game could outstay its welcome because if you get the if you get the good hand early, then I think that that top decking action is just not you. All of a sudden, you're not exploring the deck anymore. Like the, the whole yeah, exactly. fun is cultivation. That's the whole yeah. fun. And I, and I think I kind of want to be able to say, okay, hand cultivated done. And the yeah. game doesn't want you to do that because it like it doesn't want you to hurt the feelings of people who are not done yet. <laughs> I don't care about you. I'm play again. If you don't I want to win and play again. Yeah, that's, that's the answer to me. But like, it, it yeah. obviously the sensibility is different because James, you're a designer. Anyway, yeah. so that's that's Red Rising, the mechanism. Mechanism. Uh, a level yeah. of mechanism. Now, mm -hmm. the title of your video was what? Why theme is important. Red Rising, why theme is important. That is exactly yes. what drew me to Mark's review. So now we're going to talk about the theme of Red yes. Rising. So I'll, I'll give you the, the, the pride of place. Go okay. ahead and articulate what you think is a misstep. I the think... Theme of Red Rising. So Red Rising is obviously a much-loved IP, and there are five books worth of story in Red Rising. Uh, and to explain this wonderful world of 14 different casts and 14 different colours and, and an institute track, uh, 15, sorry, and, and an institute, there we go, see, and an institute track and, uh, sorry, yeah, an institute track and the fleet track and why Helium 3 is important, Stonemaier give you three lines of very, very ambiguous text, basically, which tells you absolutely nothing other than the golds are in power and do you want to them to stay in power or do you want to fight against them? And that is it. I had no idea what the Institute was. I have no idea what the fleet track is. Of course, I can make assumptions on this. I had no idea. As beautiful as those Helium-3 red tokens in a fox's head container are, I have no idea why I'm collecting helium three. Again, I can make an assumption on why I'm collecting uh, helium three, but it's you have helium. no idea why it's a fox head. Why is it a fox? No, head? Why, so exactly. Why is it a fox head? And as fantastic as the artwork is on each of these hundred and twelve cards, and it is beautiful, beautiful artwork. And I think for fans of the IP, people that know the IP, they will look at that and they think, oh, that that jackal or that darrow looks absolutely fantastic. It's exactly how I imagined him from the books. For everybody else, it's completely irrelevant because I'm not even looking at that. I'm looking at the color of the card and I'm looking at the action that's on there. I'm not lost in anything because I don't understand why I'm doing anything whatsoever. Mm. And that was when I, you know, from solo perspective, that started to grind on me quite a bit. I wanted to be brought in on this journey and not just from a solo, but my wife as well. The reason she never wanted to play it again is she said, I won. I don't understand how I won, why I won. Don't know what the fleet is. Don't know what the Institute is. Um, and they had a fantastic opportunity to bring people along on this journey with just a little bit of text in the uh, in, in in the manual or or whatever. There's plenty of space in that box. Let's face it, for, to fit loads of you could fit five books in that box and still fit the game in there. Um, but, but yeah, there's, there's there was a real opportunity to bring people who are Stonemaier fans which they do exist, who don't know the sure. IP. I don't mean Stonemaier fans exist. I mean, people who love Stonemaier who don't know the IP exist. Uh, and people will instantly buy a Stonemaier game as well without, you know, without understanding too much about it or looking into it because it's a, a Stonemaier game. There was a real opportunity to, I think I mentioned it in the video, the Venn diagram is you've got your Red Rising fans and you've got your um, uh, kind of Stonemaier fans and they're not always the same. And the ones in the middle where it meets could be a, uh, a Red Rising Stonemaier fan but you've still got people that you need to bring on that journey and i just think it was neglected it would, would have been a relatively easy thing to do it detached me from the game uh completely after about 15 plays of the game I, 
I, I just couldn't be bothered anymore. As much as I liked the mechanisms, I was so frustrated in the fact that I still didn't know anything about this. And I know, yeah, I, you know, I could have gone and researched it. I could have read the books. Not really my style of literature. Um, so I probably it's will never read the books. Young adult fantasy, young adult sci-fi. Yeah, exactly. So it's yeah. not like and, high you know, fantasy. It's not you're not getting Game of Thrones. You're not getting like interwoven. Like you're getting Rock'em Sock'em and you know uh, yeah. very like you know young rebel energy. Like you're getting all that stuff. And to be clear, I've only read the first book, and that was a long right. time ago. I'm going yep. to reread them. I'm, I want to. I actually want to a future episode. I want Jamie back on to talk about the books yeah. and talk about like why he loves it. Uh, I do book chat over here. Uh, yeah, I'll get to that. <laughs> you know, I so I, this isn't my favorite IP uh, by a long shot. I mean, I got plenty. Yeah. I got plenty more. Stormlight yeah. Archive, you see right above my head. I love Stormlight yeah. Archive. It's higher fantasy for adults. Here, it's just like, you know, bubblegum fun. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. And that's absolutely fine. Uh, but I think if you're using an IP, you've got to take people along on that journey who don't know that IP because board gamers, you know, there will be a market, as I say, just for people who love the IP. But there will be a market of board gamers who don't know anything about the IP, it may springboard them into reading the books. And I said in my video, that's absolutely fantastic. If you get this and it makes you read the books, great. Put down electrics and, and uh, electronics and read more books. Um, but I do think it is a misstep. It dragged me out of it. My wife, as I said, when we played two player was like, I don't understand why I've done anything of what I'm doing. I have no idea why. Well, I know I have won, but I don't understand why any of this mattered. Um, I don't ever want to play it again. And I think, yeah, yeah. For, for some people, theme is massively important for others. And I did get some, um, some kickback on this as well. For others, it's not important. It is about the mechanisms that they're looking for. Okay. All right. So my criticism is not that, you know, uh, why are you going on about the theme? That is not my critic. I have the opposite criticism, right? Um, so your video actually did inspire me. So it like when you were talking, you know, uh, I think you a good synopsis from where you, you did. That's the video is 30 minutes, people. <laughs> yeah. Mark has to really edit himself down. Uh, okay. <laughs> well done. So then my, so it challenged me to think about what is theme. Yeah. To define theme and like I'm doing that anyway. So people, I'm doing a lot of like culture videos and you know colonialist themes. I have to assess what theme is in order to be able to make my criticisms and my thinking as as clear as I can. So I have tried to come up with a ludological definition of a theme, and I want to kind yeah. of work backwards from that. So I shared this with Mark ahead of time, so he knows he knows what I'm I'm coming. Said so it's a little bit of a mouthful, but you know we'll work through it. Uh, I think theme is a aesthetic conceptual or imaginative framework that creates a meaningful connection between the game and the players, right? So there's two sections to that. So like the aesthetic framework, right? And we'll talk about the aesthetic framework because it's Red Rising yep. is the aesthetic framework. And the intended purpose of that is to create a meaningful connection between the player and the game. Yeah. Okay. So I think this game does a great job creating a connection, a, a fantastic job. I love it. Between the player and the game. <laughs> I'm living so, proof that I disagree. Yes. But go on. Yeah. <laughs> so we have to define. So the reason I broke this down into a, um, a, like a definition is because I think, you know, it's in those, it's even teasing out those words that we can really uh, like hammer down on what our disagreement is. So, Let's talk about, so I think, you know, we, we know the aesthetic framework of Red Rising. It is, we know the conceptual framework of like, you know, a caste system and, you know, how mm -hmm. that's all working. So like, that's all there. So does it succeed in creating a meaningful connection from game to player, right? Mm -hmm. And 
the crux of our disagreement seems to me is that we disagree on the phrase meaningful connection. Yeah. Right. I, so I, like, so yeah. meaningful connection to you means if I, if I can um, extrapolate from your statement, right. Meaningful connection for you is it the, you know, your, your turn by turn actions kind of make sense. Yeah. Right. And a, or B, like you mentioned before, like kind of pull you in, immerse you. Yeah. Right. So, okay. Say, say a little bit more about that. I'm like, okay. So you meaningful connection memes, like a game has a successful theme when it immerses you in to yeah. the world or something like that. So I think, you know, having theme is not mutually exclusive to having the right mechanics at the same time. And it's never a binary decision. If, if I'm enjoying the mechanics so much that I can, uh, the abstraction of the theme doesn't bother me, then then that's good. It didn't hit on both counts for me. So as much as I kind of enjoyed the game of, of, of Red Rising, it wasn't enough to overcome the fact that there, was the, there wasn't this meaningful connection. Uh, and I think, you know, that meaningful connection is there for some players. And I think, when, you know, absolutely, when you look at a channel like Think of Thema, I mean, it's there in the channel title, basically, of what they do. You know, there is a thematic side and there is the mechanic right. side as well. And as I say, they're not mutually exclusive and it's never binary and it will always be a grey area and a combination of, of a, few, a few in there. I think on this, on Red Rising, because it's coming from an IP, an IP I didn't know anything about. You can I can hold my hands up and say, you know, potentially that's partially my fault, uh, of course. Um, then I needed that connection to make it all make sense to me because it's not an overly strong in terms of uh, decision space or mechanics that you're doing. There aren't a large number of, of uh, options that you can do. You put a card down, you pick a card up, and that is literally the game. It's choosing when to put them down and pick them up. That's the important point. You strip that out from other Euros, and Euros are, of course, notoriously themeless if you like yeah but why does a euro work for me they why have does, I don't know. just don't create meaningful connections yeah yeah but they make sense to me at the same time as well so if i think of a game like kanban ev um so it's you know i it, it's set in a in an automotive factory i have zero interest in cars but i understood every part of that process why i was de getting a design why i was bringing parts in why i was researching stuff and making stuff better it all sure. kind of the dots joined for me and that was the issue with Red Rising, and, and uh, that's the meaningful connection I, I, I missed from it, is understanding why things were done in a certain order. And that's, okay. that's what I, you know, I think that's what help, theme helps tie together. Okay, so you said, uh, you went right to the thing that I want to say, which is dots, right? So that aesthetic framework provides dots, right? Yeah. And, and dot, by dots, we mean like kind of little bits of information. So like in Kanban EV, like, you know, the, you know, the car plan and the materials and the labor and it, it strings, like the game does work to string those dots together and it invites you along that ride. So that's what it means by immersion. So like, you know, it's, it's stringing those dots together. It's making a flow, right? There's a flow and it's inviting you into that flow, to swim in that flow, to think in that flow and, you know, make your thing. Right. Yeah. Red Rising does not do that. Yeah. It provides dots, but it leaves it up to the player to connect the dots on their own, depending on the whatever, you know, the, the player brings to the table. So like if the player yeah. is familiar with Red Rising, they're going to see the dots and then they'll make their own associations. Ooh, this is this and this is this and this and this and this and this. And it isn't just dots. It's like, okay, because the, the cards interact like they would in the game or the, 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 cards do the character cards do what the characters would do in the game 
So, you know, you have um, Pax Al Takamakas, who's a, a goal, a goal card. And you have, a, you know, the assassin card who's going to take out other cards. And you have, you know, this this person has his servo bot as an assistant. And it's like all that stuff is right there for the for the player. And, and so it's presenting the dots. It's not like doing anything. It's just presenting them. It's there and you can put it in. So. I, I call that the difference between an immersive theme and an evocative theme. Okay. So, so this so this game is not going to immerse you. It doesn't tell no. a story. It does no. not tell a story. It does not like Kanban tells a story of like making a car. This game does not tell a story of like uh you know rebelling against the, the thing. No. It just gives you the dots and it wants you to put those in itself. So like by giving you the dots and doing such a good job of it, it evokes the theme. Like now I'm in the world. I'm not a, a character in the world. But I'm just there in the world, and I'm surrounded by the the stuff. Uh, to me, that's enough. Yeah, and I think me, that's the beauty. That's enough. That's even, the thing. About even if I hadn't read Red Rising, and I again I haven't read it in years, and I, I yeah. played games based on IPs that I didn't, I wasn't quite familiar with. But I'm kind of familiar in a general way with how wizards work and how. Yeah, of you know, course. Whatever. Yeah, yeah. I think that's enough. Ah, and I think it, in some cases, I agree wholeheartedly. Yeah, in some cases, you know, as, as I say, it just captures that, that kind of wave of, of integrating the two and you don't need more than, than uh, the dots being suggested in you to make your own connections. But I think what you were saying there yes. is... You, mm -hmm. Yes. A suggestive I, theme, not an immersive theme. Yes, yes. And, uh, but I think what you were saying there is, is kind of uh, part of what you said kind of comes to the difference of where we're at it. So you were talking about Paxor Telemachus, I think you called him, yeah, which, yeah. you know, allowed you to do this, that or that action. I didn't see, I'm not saying I didn't see that card. I didn't see that. I would have seen that as a red card or a gold, gold. card. Gold. Yeah. So the, so even that, that layer of thematic integration was lost with me in terms of I didn't care about it being Pax or Telemachus. It was just a gold card and it did something, or whatever, did something slightly different to another gold card. It would be gold because it's AU, isn't it? Uh, is that AU or is that AG? I can't remember. Um, but yeah, uh, it would be gold. Gold is AU. Um, so Pax or Telemachus, yeah. So um, yeah, I wouldn't have seen his name. I would have just seen a gold card. And then I would have looked for another gold card to do it. So I think, yeah, it's where it took you on that journey. And I think from, you know, going back to it, is it important? Not to everybody. Of course it's not. It's mm -hmm. purely subjective. Absolutely. So I would is say, so actually I'll, I'll, I'll stop you right there. I, I, cause you mentioned before about the journey and I did, like what I'm describing is not like journey. Like, you know, um, cause I'm not going from A to B to C, like in the sense of like, that's what immersion thing. Like I started here, I end here. That's a story. That's a journey here. It's more like, um, more like just kind of an overall aesthetic experience, you know? So it's like, it's, it's like um, kind of going to a movie versus visiting a museum. So like the museum is full of these dots, right? And I'm just kind of like having a sensual, a, a sensory experience yeah. of, you know, dot, dot, dot. And like, I just kind of emerge and I'm in, I, you know, the, the uh, my mind is doing most of the work in terms of connecting the dots where the movie's yeah. doing a lot of the work. Yeah, but if you go to a, uh, you know, uh, if you go to a, a museum and you go and look at a piece of art, and even if it's abstract art, there's a little card there that tells you, you know, generally what it is, who the artist is, maybe a little bit about it or how it's interpreted or, or, or whatever. So there's a little bit of information you can read about it. It's not there in Red Rising. There, there is a card with a beautiful picture on there telling you that your character or this particular card, if you put it down, will give you this and it can block that action. So, yeah. Is, so I get the analogy and I get the kind of uh, the, the cross reference there, but I do think that, you know, the theme in Red Rising is still a step further away from that. And that journey, it wouldn't have taken much. And the three lines of text in the rule book are just so 
oh, ambiguous. <laughs> it, it, it frustrated the hell out of me. You know, I, I spent time flicking backwards and forwards through the rule book, which is great. Again, it's another small rule book. They managed to condense the rules down into, into a really manageable, uh, manageable thing. And I ended up flicking back and forth thinking, is it going to tell me anything else? And it doesn't. And because that doesn't do that and because the cards didn't do that, and because there was no setting in the board and blah, 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 all of it just compounded and just made it feel um, just too abstracted for me. I do not read the cards when I go to a museum. I don't care. <laughs> 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 good support, support our artists and could support them and make them, uh, you know, beautiful movies and everything. And it's like, it's, it's not to me, it's not about that. It's about just the, the sensory experience that I'm created as I'm walking through the thing. Right. So I actually really like and appreciate that the book doesn't give us that background in the, in the, the rule book. It, it's suggestive. Like, and so, okay. Like, I like thin rule books. <laughs> yeah. You know, <laughs> give me less to read as I get it like a little bit older. And I've like, I have the weight of all these games pressing down upon my <laughs> simple streamlined rule books. Even if fluff is sometimes ignorable, uh, it, it still adds to the, you know, the master rule book. I like thin streamlined rule book. That's fine. Um, I always feel like the rule books do just a, a, a poor job. It's like getting a Xerox copy of a thing or like the spark notes of a thing. And it's like, if I'm, if I really want to immerse myself in something, then I'm just going to go straight to the original thing. So what, what this game does, so let's use the museum metaphor. I don't know if it's perfect, but yeah. I'll just push it. Yeah. Um, I'm going to a museum and I'm seeing like just discrete piece of art. And if I really want to know, I'm not going to go to the card and I'm not going to go to like the tour guide to, you know, the tour guide kind of whispering in my ear, oh, yeah. this and this and this and this. They're always going to give me the, the the carbon copy Wikipedia version. If I enjoy yep. what I'm seeing and I know what the name is, oh, it's a Van Gogh or it's a Cezanne or something like that, then I'm going to go whole hog into the thing. Yeah. Right. And I, and I don't need to kind of, you know, to me, waste time with Xerox of it. It's like okay. it either gave me a beautiful experience or it didn't. And if it's a beautiful experience and it's worth diving, I'm just going to dive into the original source. Yeah, and and feel myself there. So it's funny because you um you use a word research. Yeah, I don't consider that research. I, I either I either I I'm not connected to the game, and I'm just doing reds and blues, which you know, that's why we assessed whether this is a game that's good to, to combo reds. Yeah, and blues, or it will invite me to into the source material directly. No, do not pass go. Do not collect two hundred dollars. Go to the source material, which. I think the game does enough to invite people to do that. Ah, oh, wow. And it's not uh, research to me. It's not work to me. It's like yeah. reading a new book. So I think it almost does. And I think if you're bought into that artwork, that beautiful artwork, you want to understand a little bit more about it. I think where it fails is just some of the, you strip the cards out of it, where it fails, and therefore it doesn't drag you into enough to be interested and actually frustrated me beyond the point of frustration is understanding the, um, the, excuse me, the end game or the timing mechanisms in the, in, in the game. I know we touched on them, the fleet track, the Institute and the helium three, effectively they're all point scoring mechanisms and end game timers uh, at the same time. And uh, a combination of two or three of them are going to end the game. If you reach a certain point on them, it would have just been nice just to explain <laughs> 
why when I pick a card up from Mars or put a card down on Mars or whatever, it's pick a card up, isn't it? Or put a card down. Yeah, pick a card up. Why do I move up the fleet track? Or why when I do it from Ceres, I want to say, or Luna, I can't remember the names now. Um, and, and again, there we go. I can't remember the names. Why when I play a card or pick a card up from a certain area, does it move me up on the fleet track? Or does it give me Helium 3? Or does it do the Institute? What is their connection there? And there isn't. It's not explained anywhere. I, I would now, say, okay, it's not explained, but it's generally the blue cards that are the pilots that move you up the blue track. Yeah. So do I need to be told in the rule book that, you know, pilots are involved in space battles and da, 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 or it's like, can I just make the connection myself, which is what we're talking about? Like, okay, blue cards are pilots. The pilots are involved in some kind of space battle. And that's why playing them will increase that. Or like, you know, I'm not, I'm not, whatever it is. I'm not looking at the cards and this is the problem because it's lost me already. I don't, know that it's the pilot on the card it's just a blue card where i'm reading the text on basically and that's the issue mm. so and, and i think that's it and i think you know you just explained it very succinctly there and that could have been in there you move up on the fleet track when you place a blue card because blue cards are pilots bang done it okay i've got it right it's a, it's a one line of text that was missing from the rule book maybe seen as some by fluff and extraneous and others it might just be that very important connecting mechanism that we need from one you know we go back to your kind of uh, your your definition of theme and aesthetic imaginative or conceptual framework to create a meaningful connection that would be a meaningful connection for me why when you play this particular kind of card the fleet track moves that's it that's all i need yeah so and i and i wanted to, i want to broaden the and the reason i use the phrase meaningful connection is i wanted it nice and broad because i think yeah. that meaningful connections can be more than one thing i think yeah. that you know the instinct is to say okay red rising am i immersed in the world and if I'm not immersed in the world, then it's going to not be meaningful for me. And I kind of want to just deconstruct that. And I think Jamie does too, you know, because he tried to make the immersive game, as far as I understand. Like he tried to make the Red Rising game and it just didn't, you know, didn't work out. And so he ended up kind of changing gears entirely to this just simple card, you know, rummy type game. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, it was became, okay, I can't make the immersive game, but I can bring the world to people, you know? And I'm going to bring the world to people in this kind of like, you know, you know drawn discard, highly interactive, you know, uh, way. And I'm, I'm going to give, I'm not, I can't, it's almost like, okay, so change the metaphor from museum to um, cooking. So like an immersive, um, <clears throat> an immersive game kind of cooks the meal for you, gives you the steak, gives you the smell, you, you, you're, you're tasting and everything. Uh, and, and that's beautiful. A, a game like this gives you ingredients. You got to cook it yourself. Yeah. And it's not good enough. And here's my here's my. Oh, it's good enough for me. I want to cook for myself. For you, it is. I want to cook for myself. I I cook delicious meals in my brain. It's beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) And I get all that, and I enjoy uh, quite literally enjoy cooking. But I enjoy connecting, you know, making those those kind of connections myself. And then I I was thinking about this, as I mentioned uh, earlier, uh, kind of this. The, the impulse a lot of people have got just to buy a stone my game because it's a stone my game uh and that then it also sparked you know somebody somebody once said on a respond on my red rising post or red rising video that you know stone my aren't under any obligation to tell us anything here or you know that's that's down to us to actually go out and do I that absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, there is a nobody has an obligation for anything they can stick that they can stick the red rising name on a box and put whatever game in there they want, basically, if they want to, if they bought the license for it, completely within their grasp. It's not about what what their obligations are. It's about what potentially a Stonemaier who've done so much for 
you know, kind of brought board gaming up to the next level in the last few years, and certainly for the solo community as well, what they could have done just to try and close that circle a little bit more. Uh, you know, we talked about a few few lines of text and, and, and what have you, and uh, how that could make a difference. And it's, it's I, I want to talk less about obligations and more about what could have been. And if it is, and it is staying Jamie's favorite book, he had a real opportunity now to say, hey, you guys don't know anything about this world, right? So here's just a little bit more information to really hook you in on this, to really get think, you enticed. Yeah. And I, I don't think, think that I, I think it doesn't, and, and for, like, okay, so as an example, like if he, if they, if, if Jamie, and he would never do this, uh, but he, if he had rethemed Uno, or if, yep. rethemed, if it was just, you know, Uno Monopoly, but like Red Rising Uno, and yeah. like that, that would be like, okay, what are we doing here? <laughs> you know, you're slapping something on that. So that would stretch, strain. That's why, in terms of meaningful connection, like, you know, when you just slap yeah. a theme on a game with a completely independent, no thought whatsoever, yeah. that's meaningless, right? And that's yeah. so like a meaningful game does work to make, to connect the player in the game. Yeah. And I think that the mechanism, the like, you know, Eurogamer Rummy that, that Jamie has crafted does more work to connect you to the game than uno would does it yeah. do enough work for you clearly not for me because i like to cook ingredients myself and okay. be in worlds it did enough yeah so i think you know i'm gonna ask you the unanswerable question and it's impossible for you to answer this because you can't unring bells had you not read red rising no matter how many years ago would do you think you could have still made those connections or when you were first playing the game did the, some of the characters come back and you're like, okay, so that is you know, Darrow or out Pax Alamana or whatever it's called, you know, so there is a bias there. There's you and that's not a bad thing because you read the book and you know, it, it's there. So you've already got that connection for some of us that haven't got that connection. Uh, and the game doesn't, if it doesn't carry a sue on there, then it will still feel abstracted. I think. That's a great question. <clears throat> so I enjoy sci-fi in general. Mm -hmm. I enjoy fantasy more than sci-fi. I'm not really a sci-fi, more of a fantasy guy, but uh, you know, there's certain sci-fi that as long as you're giving me like, you know, imaginative worlds and all that kind of thing. So, so that's a, so in terms of your Venn diagram, I think you're missing an element. I think you're missing an element of maybe you're not familiar with red rising, but you're familiar with general fantasy elements, um, yep. general fantasy, like, you know, uh, wizard sling spells and, uh, warriors or th this and the third thing and in the world of red rising you know reporters do this and pilots do this and all and whatever the different classes assassins do this and uh, yeah. artificers do this so like i know what these things are in the abstract right so i'm familiar with, i'm already familiar with the ingredients from other meals yeah. and so this promises to cook the meal it, this promises a different meal but uh, but in the same family of what i'm used to so because i have that familiarity with the genre yeah I, I I feel like the game has given me enough to like, okay, this meal is it's the same genre, but it's, it's going to taste different if you get into it. And it's like, I, so that's, that's, uh, that would be where I would complicate your thing a little bit. Cause I'm okay. And I, you know, I, with the genre. absolutely. And everything is going to be subjective. Absolutely. Uh, you know, we, we're going to touch on, well, we have touched on that a lot. And I think it's not the cop out answer that everything's subjective. It is just factual here, you know, and in terms of this for you, red rising absolutely brought you into that theme. You know, he brought you along, he rekindled the memories you had from the book yeah, and, and your general kind of um, fantasy trope knowledge, etc. And it all right. played into this fantastic, well, uh, into a game that I will admit is a tight, you know, is a well-designed kind of card game that is no more complex than it needs to be. It's exactly the right level of where it needs to be. And I say from my perspective and you know, 
fantasy is not necessarily i've got plenty of fantasy board games but reading fantasy is not necessarily my background uh more historical literature etc um and therefore you know i have no prime knowledge of this particular ip as well and therefore that abstraction absolutely hits over there for me and i know this happens as well because feedback on the video one guy said he hadn't read the books he had no knowledge of the ip he'd never bought a stone my game before and he absolutely loves the game i think that's, and i said that's great absolutely fantastic and then other people have said couldn't agree with you more uh, i love stone Meyer. this is not for me because i don't know about the ip it's not my style of you know literature or reading or whatever and uh, and therefore the thing is too abstract for me the theme was you know there was no theme connection there i think if you go on bgg there are uh, on the forums, there are some wonderful glowing kind of um, discussions about it. And then there are some people saying, yeah, the lack of theme just, it's just dragged me out of this. So yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> I don't think it's a right or wrong. Um, no, 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 it's not. We're, but it's, yeah, it's, it's a discussion. It's exactly. A discussion it's interesting to, to find out varying viewpoints. Yeah. 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 I mean, so, so to you that, you know, th there was a lack of, there was a quote unquote lack of theme because there was a lack of connection, right? Like you couldn't, yeah. you didn't understand what was going on. The theme didn't tell you how to play it. The theme didn't tell you, didn't inform you of anything. To me, like there was a, a very deep connection, but the deep connection doesn't look the same as a Eldritar, you know, Argamhar, uh, those big board games, right? The big board yeah. games with the minis and the, you know, you go for the story beats, you go from A from B to C to D. Yeah. Like to beat, I think a lot of people consider that a kind of thematic game or like yeah. an Argamhar LCG. Like, you know, that's how, that's how cards do it, right? Yeah. A card game can be thematic. It's harder. <laughs> you know, it's harder, but like a card yeah. game can do it. This game just decided to completely not do it that way, not do it, not go the immersive route. It went what I call the evocative or suggestive route. And to me, that is just as, it is a different kind of theme thematic, but it is no less valid and enriching and really fun for me. I think the only the only kind of real comparison I can make is the previous game that my, my wife had played with me prior to playing uh, Red Rising was Dune. Dune uh, Imperium, sorry. Okay, so Dune Imperium. Again, neither of us have read the books. Of course, I'm slightly more aware of the uh, of it than, than I was of uh, Red Rising. Right. Uh, my wife absolutely adores Dune Imperium. She understands what she's doing. There is a connection. There's stuff within the rule book and within the, the kind of um, uh, on the cards itself that tells you a little bit about the various houses that are involved in there, etc. So that did, Dune Imperium did more to take me on that journey. Still relatively abstract if you don't know too much about the IP. Um, I have actually, <laughs> despite saying it's not my literature, since playing Dune Imperium, I've actually read Dune. Uh, since then, that did take me on that journey to do that. Um, but yeah, my wife had never read Dune, didn't know too much about it, loves Dune Imperium because she felt more connection with that, really did not ever want to play Red Rising ever again because of the lack, lack of connection. I, I've not played Dune yet, so you are making me want okay. to play Dune. <laughs> <laughs> It's a very good game. You're making me want to. No, it's been on my list for a while now, definitely. Um, so anyway, so yeah, we come down on opposite ends of the spectrum, but that's the. Yep. There is no resolution point here. The, the the resolution is just to frame it, you know. So yep. like, if you're on the side of like, okay, there's no connection here, and then you got plenty of opportunity for that. If you're on more closer to my side, where it's like, let's think about theme differently and how the theme how game can deliver a theme differently and no be no less meaningful then yeah. you, know, you have stuff to kind of talk with, with on my side as well so i think we framed the debate red rising is an interesting game to talk about and so um you know whether you like it or hate it i love it i love that that publishers are putting stuff out there that that can we can really sink our teeth into so that uh, yeah. if red rising does anything <laughs> at least it did that
Excellent. I, I'm really glad that you know it's not a bad game, as I say. I quite enjoyed my time with Red Rising. I'm glad there are people out there enjoying it uh, who like the IP, who've never heard of the IP, and if it's spurring more people on to read books because it is becoming, you know, the game is 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 quite popular at the moment. It's spurring more people on to read books, then it's you know it's it needs to stay out there. It deserves all the praise it can get for doing that. Okay. All right, so Mark, what's the uh, you, uh, more previews, right? <laughs> I'm not, I'm not uh, well, yeah. More so previews, it's more playthroughs, it, more reviews. Yeah, so I, it, that literally is the channel. is It's generally review based. It's just at the moment there's a little bit of uh, a bias towards previews. It's just a bit of a silly season for um, uh, for publishers sending preview copies out. I'm selected in the games I preview on the channel, so of course they have to have a solo mode, um, and because you know I have. Pretty much, uh, you know, a, a proper full-time job, and I had my family. I can only record a video maybe once every ten days or so, purely because of the time it takes. Because, as you mentioned at the beginning, it's generally, it's generally kind of long form, thirty to sixty minutes, lots of editing. So, to get a game, learn a game, form an opinion, record a video, it's a hell of a long process for me. So, yeah, I've got a, I'm just um, uh, three previews in the last ten days, and I'm just in the middle of one more preview, and then I want to get back into doing some reviews. And I think. Uh, yeah, I've got plenty of new games to review, but I managed to get hold of a copy of Camp Grizzly uh, recently, which was a grail game of mine, and it's become a firm favourite. And not solo, well, you can play it solo, Bill, but I'm playing it with my wife and we've played it with friends. So I think I may do a, a bit of a cult of the old review on uh, on Camp Grizzly as the next review. There's nothing wrong with cult of the old and digging out favourites, and we like that too. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All right, Mark, thank you very much. Uh, we will be in touch. Uh, uh, you will see Mark again uh, by the end of the year, I can guarantee it. On shelf stories. Excellent. Thank you, everybody. If you could change your mind, it could change the world. So until next time, later, everybody. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us again for the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast. Check out our YouTube channel at One Stop Co-op Shop. Also, join us for games and discussion on our Discord channel. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash one stop or leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks again and we'll see you next week for another top five list.